Good morning. In today's headlines, the feud between former President Trump and Governor DeSantis is brewing. Find out what caused the top GOP contender to hit back at his new rival. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis keeps his busy campaign schedule rolling. The Republican candidate tried to make inroads with the live free or die folks of New Hampshire. SATs are changing. We take a look at what can be expected when they're rolled out to students this fall. We know social media can pose risks to kids and adolescents, but what can be done to mitigate those risks? We get the take of our health correspondent. And a neglected sheep was in dire need of some love and attention. That's when Laura Johnson of Harmony Hill Farm Sanctuary stepped in. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan. Good morning, everyone. I'm Evelyn Lee. Today's Friday, June 2nd. TGIF, am I right? Oh, that's right. Yeah, not only do we have the weekend arrival to celebrate, but America can breathe a sigh of relief, as Senator Chuck Schumer puts it. Right, and the whole world, for that matter. Yeah, that's a good point, Evelyn. And to start your morning, we're bringing you some big news. That's right. The Senate ended the threat of a debt default by passing the Fiscal Responsibility Act of 2023 yesterday. The measure now moves to the desk of President Joe Biden, whose signature will lay the matter to rest for at least the next 19 months. The Senate voted 63 to 36 to approve the bill that the House passed on Wednesday. This as lawmakers raced against the clock following months of bickering between Democrats and Republicans. The bill makes some minor spending cuts and makes changes to work requirements for some social welfare programs. It also streamlines the permit process for oil and gas drilling and takes back $20 billion in IRS funding and $30 billion in unspent COVID relief funds. Former President Trump has a new bone to pick with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. He took issue with DeSantis pointing out he would only be eligible to serve one more term. But Trump says it wouldn't take four years to fix the problems the nation is facing. Entity's Jeremy Sandberg has more on the feud brewing between presidential candidates. Florida Governor and 2024 presidential candidate Ron DeSantis said at his first campaign event in Iowa Tuesday that it takes two terms as president to be able to finish the job and that he doesn't think Trump could fix things in a single four-year term because of the bureaucracy being so entrenched. Trump responded in a town hall on Fox News Thursday. You don't need four and you don't need eight. You need six months. Within six months, I said, within six months, this... DeSantis had this to say about Trump's claim after his Thursday rally in New Hampshire. If you only did four years, everything would get reversed. The bureaucrats would wait you out. There's a lot you can do on day one that'll have a big impact. But that bureaucracy, I think, is a huge, huge problem. Why didn't he do it his first four years? Trump advises against voting for DeSantis. Because he said, you need eight years, you need six months. We're going to drill. We're going to get our energy down. When the energy comes down, other things come down. The top GOP contender says he will immediately increase domestic oil production, secure the southern border, and end the war between Russia and Ukraine. He commended House Republicans for investigating the Biden family for their alleged influence operation and says President Biden and his son Hunter are being protected by an unfair and one-sided system. Trump compared his views on abortion to those of the late president, Ronald Reagan, where abortions are allowed in cases of rape, incest, or danger to the mother's life. The number of Republican presidential candidates is growing in an already crowded GOP field. 
Former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie is reportedly going to enter the race in New Hampshire next week. Trump says the amount of opponents doesn't really bother him, but he doesn't know why they would bother to run when they have little to no chance of winning. Polls show some candidates at 1% or less. The former president says he will mostly be focusing on DeSantis since he's second in most polls. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. The current President Biden had an unfortunate fall at the U.S. Air Force Academy graduation ceremony yesterday. He tripped after handing out the last diploma on his way off stage. Biden seems to be okay. He walked back to his seat unassisted after being helped up. The president joked about it when he arrived back at the White House. He says he got sandbagged. Trump said he hoped Biden wasn't hurt when speaking at campaign event in Iowa. He then went on to joke about the time he fell while coming down a ramp after his speech. DeSantis also wished him a swift recovery from any injuries he might have sustained. The GOP candidate then took a swipe at the president, saying he hopes the country can swiftly recover from injuries it has sustained from Biden's policies. And speaking of DeSantis, he kicked off his first visit to New Hampshire as a declared presidential candidate yesterday. And today's Daniel Monahan has more on the GOP candidate's remarks. The appearance by DeSantis before voters in the live free or die state comes as former President Donald Trump returned to the campaign trail in Iowa. DeSantis discussed his military service, saying patriotism drove him to serve his country in the wake of 9-11. The Yale and Harvard-educated lawyer served on active duty in the Navy as a judge advocate general from 2004 until 2010. The satisfaction you get wearing the cloth of your country, serving alongside fellow patriots, uh, and, and pursuing a mission that is larger than yourself, well, that's a satisfaction that money just can't buy. DeSantis touched on how he charted his own course, standing up against the political pressure and media to save people's jobs and keep kids in school during COVID. Leadership is not about entertainment. Leadership is not about virtue signaling. It's not about building a brand. It's ultimately about producing results for the people that you're represented. The presidential candidate also touted Florida's results in various culture war arenas, including removing diversity, equity, and inclusion policies from public universities. The way it's actually practiced, DEI is better understood as discrimination, exclusion, and indoctrination, and that has no part in our public institutions. The Florida governor's stop in New Hampshire has yielded some results. New Hampshire State Representative James Spillane says he's withdrawing his endorsement of Trump and will now support DeSantis. But it's become evident, especially with the latest attack on Kayleigh McEnany, that uh, there's no loyalty in him. Spillane says those kinds of negative attacks don't play well in New Hampshire. On the topic of Trump or DeSantis, New Hampshire voter Victoria Gullah says there are a lot of things that Trump did that she really strongly disagrees with. It's time to move on from the drama and also I uh, want someone who can actually get some results. Next up for the Florida governor is South Carolina, another prominent state on the presidential voting calendar. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Now, turning our attention to Texas and the case surrounding suspended Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton. An outside law firm found that Paxton did break, didn't break any laws when he fired several officials from his office. Paxton was impeached last month in the GOP-controlled Texas State House 
One article of impeachment involves former employees who sued Paxton for wrongful dismissal. They claimed Paxton ousted them in retaliation after they reported him to federal authorities for alleged crimes. The law firm of Lewis, Bisgard and Smith released an independent report on the dismissals. It concluded that Paxton's actions against the former employees were based on legitimate business grounds. The Attorney General is facing trial in the Texas State Senate, I should say, for 20 articles of impeachment, including bribery and abuse of public trust. He has been suspended from office pending the outcome of that trial. He denounced impeachment as politically motivated. Moving on to personal finances, do you use payment apps like Venmo and PayPal? A financial watchdog warns that you should not store your money in such apps for the long term. The Consumer Financial Protection Bureau warned yesterday that money stored in payment apps might not be safe during a financial crisis. That's because they are not covered by deposit insurance. The FDIC insures bank accounts up to $250,000, but money stored in payment apps is not held in a traditional bank account. So if there's an event similar to a bank run with those apps, the funds may not be protected. Silicon Valley Bank, Signature Bank, and First Republic Bank all experienced bank runs. That's after fearful customers with uninsured deposits pulled their money out at the same time, causing the banks to fail. A new exhibit opening today in New York City serves as a reminder of tens of thousands of students who stood up to an authoritarian regime. Those students were in Tiananmen Square in Beijing. We'll have that story for you in just a minute. Times are changing very soon. Students will be taking the SATs digitally instead of with pencil and paper. Yeah, I took the ACT with the pen and paper. So now the SATs, of course, being the standardized tests used for college admissions across the country, it's a big deal, and they're making a full-on transition to digital. So how is the new digital SAT different, and how can people prepare for the new test? Entities Colin Fredrickson finds out. The SATs will soon become fully digital. Instead of paper and pencil, students will be using laptops and tablets. Students will download the SAT application on their device or a device provided by the testing center. The application will include a way to flag questions, a countdown clock, a graphing calculator, and a reference sheet for math formulas. And it'll be adaptive. So depending on how you perform on the first part of the test, you'll have a different set of questions, either more difficult or easier, so that they can assess the same amount of information as they do on the current SAT in a shorter time frame. Brian Stewart is an author at Barron's Educational Series. He wrote Barron's Digital SAT Study Guide. Stewart says the test will also be shorter. It'll be a little over two hours long instead of three or four hours. But this might make the test more difficult. It will be harder in the sense that each question has more of an impact on your score because there is less time. Uh, and there definitely will be some tough questions on there. And the test will still cover the same subjects, reading, writing, and math. Also, instead of a few long reading passages, there will be many shorter passages. The longest passage will be no more than 100 words. Currently, there are passages of 700 to 800 words in length on the reading section. Uh, that's not going to be the case anymore. So. For the students whose primary complaint about the SAT is that the passages are so long and sometimes they're boring and I can't read the whole thing, 
Well, they're going to have shorter passages with one question per passage. Mike Bergen is the president of the National Test Prep Association. He says the digital SATs are already being administered internationally. Students in the U.S. will take them for the first time in the fall of 2023. Colin Fredrickson, NTD News. It's no question social media poses some potential risks to children and teens. So what can be done to protect them? I spoke to our own Brendan Fallon, the host of Vital Science, to find out more. There's the recommendation of, of providing children and adolescents with better media literacy. There's obviously uh, the recommendation that parents limit the screen time that children actually have by uh, introducing things like a curfew. Uh, in, they go to bed at a certain time. The, the, the screen is shut off at a certain time. The devices go away at a certain time. Um, and, and sleep is, is something that factors heavily into, into this because this is largely where children are impacted if they're using social media too much. Another recommendation is that they actually screen adolescents and children for problematic social media use and looking for the kinds of, of worrying signs that are actually closely resemble other addictions like gambling addiction you see uh, things like signs of depression, um, anxiety. You might see, as I mentioned before, sleeplessness. So screening for these kinds of indicators so that the, the flag can be raised and a problem can be identified and acted upon. Now, can you tell me a little more about that? How does that resemble gambling addiction? With gambling addiction, you'll see things like um, people taking risky behaviors, uh, like, and in the context of, of a social media user, you might see them crossing the road without looking where they're going because they're, they're concentrating on their phone. Um, another tendency that, that accompanies gambling addiction is anxiety. Um, also, a common addictive tendency is, is to have withdrawal symptoms when you're away from the, the behavior that brings you that satisfaction, and that's that's also what's coming through in research with um, social media use, heavy addictive social media use. We're seeing withdrawal symptoms in teens. What are some things that you sh think should be fixed and, or help um, adult adolescents and um, maybe even adults? What can be done to get those, uh, get cut down on time and get the addiction under control? I, I think well, one, one of the positives with these recommendations made by the APA is that they, they recognize that this needs to be a coordinated effort. It's not just parents need to lift their game and be more, be scrutinizing their children more. It needs to be a coordinated, coordinated effort from parents, from educators, from, from the tech companies, uh, as well as adolescents need to have some commitment to this as well. Um, just to, uh, for example, on the parents' side, if, if, a, if a child is seeing their own parents you know, stuck in the computer all the time or stuck on their phone using social media, it's, it's going to send them the signal that that, that behavior is okay. Um, and, and, and I think another really important thing with addiction in general is, is to have, is diversion, you know, the, the awareness that there are healthier behaviors, healthier activities uh, available as an alternative. And if children are, are acclimatized to those from an early age, like, if they understand, if they go out and get sunlight, if they get fresh air, if they get face-to-face um, -face interaction, they're likely to sleep better than if they're, they're glued to their phone uh, until midnight. Very good point. Thank you so much, Brendan Fallon. Great to be on, Evelyn. Thank you.
from mental health to remembrance. This Sunday, June 4th, marks the 34th anniversary of the 1989 Tiananmen Square Massacre. As the day approaches, a new exhibit is opening in New York City to remember the protests and the victims. The June 4th Memorial Museum in New York City opened on Friday. Housed on the fourth floor of an office building near Penn Station, this is the only permanent exhibition of the Tiananmen Square Massacre anywhere in the world. The reason why this memorial exhibition is here because the Hong Kong Junfo Museum was forcibly closed by the Chinese Communist Party in September 2021. The CCP's intention is very clear to cover up history and make the world forget the crimes they committed. The exhibition features a range of memorabilia from the protests and the massacre. Bloody towels, blood-soaked banners, newspaper clippings, letters, and even a tent used by students during their seven-week rally. Every item here has a story behind it because the Chinese government wants to erase the memory completely. Anyone who has kept yeah, such item is at risk. The museum is the only place in the U.S. where people can physically see the artifacts from the events 34 years ago. Former student leader of the protests, Joe Feng Sua, hopes the artifacts will now be safe in New York, away from the direct authority of the Chinese Communist Party. This, for us, is tremendous. It's our sanctuary. It's our home base. It's a place we can commemorate of these who died and remember the fight of freedom for millions of people. Public commemorations of the Tiananmen Square massacre are strictly prohibited in China. Earlier this year, authorities in Hong Kong jailed three leaders of a group that had organized vigils commemorating the massacre. Coming up, a car rental service that comes directly to your location, but when it arrives, there's no driver. And a neglected sheep was covered in so much wool she couldn't even see that prompted Laura Johnson of Harmony Hill Farm Sanctuary to step in. Find out more after the break. Welcome back. British startup Imperium Drive launched what it calls the world's first driverless rental car service. The rental service is called Fetch. And like Uber, customers can order a car through their loca- to their location through an app. The company delivers the cars remotely, and clients then take control and drive to their destination. Imperium Drive showcases technology last year. Take a look. This journey, altogether, will be as convenient as an Uber, except you have to do the driving. You become your own Uber driver and save cost on your Uber trip. When you get to your destination, you just pull over, on the app, ask for a remote driver to take over control of that vehicle, and off you go to your destination without having to worry about parking either. Our goal as a company is to make remote driving safer than normal driving. And we believe that's possible through technology, through computer vision, and through software. Well, this project is about exploring the uh new mobility solutions that are just around the corner, particularly interested in connected and autonomous vehicles. And in essence, the project is about testing 5G capability to enhance and develop these services uh, to a situation where we can deploy them in the city. Our technology, monitoring technology, monitors the quality of link at all times. 
and takes necessary actions with regards to activating safety features, caps on the speed, and alerts to the remote driver about what he or she can and cannot do at different times. In the next 10, 15 years, we are really expecting to see autonomous vehicle take over. And there are different companies out there that are, what they're trying to do is get there step by step. So not automatically go to autonomous vehicle all of a sudden, but like these guys are doing where they're introducing a remote driver and you know, getting the car where you need it to be, but you're still driving it yourself. Sometimes all you need is a little help from your friends. Ah, that's right, and that's a lesson that a neglected sheep named Ella May learned. She got some much-needed tender-loving care from an animal sanctuary in Illinois. Laura Johnson is the founder and manager of Harmony Hill Farm Sanctuary in Oregon, Illinois. One day, Laura got a call about an animal in need. I was notified by a local community member that um, there was a sheep that appeared to be neglected and hadn't been sheared in a number of years and was alone in a pasture for many years. She reached out to the owner who eventually agreed to surrender the sheep to the sanctuary late last year after some convincing. Laura was pretty shocked when the sheep's owner brought her on a trailer. She got off the trailer and literally was like four feet wide but not wider, and couldn't see, um, completely covered her face. The sheep named Ella May was covered in extremely thick wool, about 40 pounds worth. Johnson points out that domestic sheep have to be sheared. Ella May had no contact with other animals or humans besides receiving hay and water from her owner for many years. She was very timid and skittish. Johnson first sat on the ground with Ella May and talked to her to make her comfortable. She wanted her to get used to her voice and feel safe. Ella couldn't see because her eyes and face were overgrown with wool. Um, as soon as I felt more comfortable, I took the big shears and cut around her face. It took hours to get all that excess wool off Ella May. Laura says she had never seen such thick, yellow, waxy lanolin buildup. It had been six years since Ella May had last been sheared. Within minutes of us getting that off of her and stepping back from her that night, she got up and she her whole demeanor changed. Um, I mean, she she was happy. I mean, you, you know a happy sheep when they start running around. Johnson says all farm animals like sheep and chickens require significant care. Ella May soon made new pals. She joined two other sheep and a female alpaca. Within days, the fast friends were playing, eating, and sleeping together as if they had always been family. 40 pounds of wool must have been so hard for his little legs to carry that weight. Yeah, and that's a lot of sweaters you can make with that. And you can definitely see how much lighter LMA feels in the video. It's really nice that there are those kind of sanctuaries that can lend a helping hand like that. Yeah, absolutely. That little jump. All right, and here's some big news. Mars could be the Internet's next big influencer. The Red Planet is making its live streaming debut on YouTube Friday. The European Space Agency says it will stream an hour of the first live images taken directly from Mars. The event celebrates the 20th anniversary of the launch of the agency's Mars Express, which is a mission to take 3D images of the planet's surface. While the agency is calling it a live stream, it will not be truly live from Mars. The ESA estimates it will take about 17 minutes for the images to travel from Mars to Earth, then another minute to make it to servers on the ground. 
They hope to stream a new image about every 50 seconds. The ESA says it will have the stream up on its YouTube channel starting at noon Eastern time today. Wow, yeah, I definitely want to check that out. And for some more great news, you can go to, well, we're going to take you to today, which is National Donut Day. That's right. And to celebrate, a number of bakeries and shops are giving away free donuts. That includes Krispy Kreme and Dunkin' Donuts. You could pick up a dozen from your friends and colleagues. You can also post your donut pictures to social media with the hashtag National Donut Day. And here's a fun fact. Donut Day goes all the way back to World War I when the Salvation Army served up donuts to troops on the front lines, oftentimes, uh, oftentimes cooked in oil in soldiers' helmets. Wow. wow. Did you ever think that eating a donut would be a patriotic act? <laughs> I have not thought of it like that, but, you know, get them as they are still there today. <laughs> All right. We're wait, wait, what's your, what's your favorite donut? My favorite donut? I think I'll always go for the classic ones. Oh. That's lame. Okay. I'm basic. Like, like a, like a uh, cruller? Glazed. Oh, glazed, glazed just, yeah. But they're good. You can put anything on it. You can put ice cream. You can. I like the right. Bavarian cream. I think we got to go get some donuts now. So we're ending it right now. <laughs> um, have a great weekend. Uh, thanks for watching today. I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Kevin Hogan.